with you all to inshallah spend an evening with the Quran. Is there anything better than spending a nice evening listening to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and pondering upon the Quran? Yes or no? Nothing's better than that, inshallah. So uh, many people wanted to come here, they got stuck in traffic. Many people wanted to come, they had other plans now, but Alhamdulillah, Allah chose you to be here today to benefit from this talk, inshallah. And so uh, may Allah give me the uh, you know, ability to inshallah explain uh, His words to the best of my abilities. And of course, this is not a tafsir session, right? So I'm not a mufassir, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a faqih. This is, these are just purely some insights, some reflections on Surah Al-Hujarat and some lessons that we can learn from Surah Al-Hujarat for our lives. And you know, coming from a background of life coaching and self-development, you're going to see throughout the presentation how we're going to try to connect Quran with life. And that's really what we do at Falaq. is try to connect Quran with life so that we can relate to the Quran and relate to how the Quran has solutions for our everyday problems, inshallah. So Surah Al-Hujurat is one of those surahs which I believe is just 18 ayat, by the way. And you know, these 18 ayat, I believe should be like a curriculum that's taught to every single Muslim family in the world. And even non-Muslims. Because the amount of lessons and ethics and manners for society are pretty much all encompassed in this one surah. So it's, it's really like a, a, an amazing curriculum that any, any family, any society can follow if they really truly understood the meanings of this beautiful surah. So before we get into the surah, it's very important to understand what the context of the surah is. Okay? And so the context of the surah is that it was revealed in 9th Hijri. Which year? 9th Hijri. And, and if you notice, 9th Hijri is pretty much late towards the seerah. Right? It's towards the end of the life of the Prophet And by then, what happened was Islam was now widespread, basically. Islam was spreading very fast outside of Medina. Many tribes were coming into Islam. And you know, all the pretty much the serious battles, Uhud, you know, Ahzab, and Badr, and all these different battles were over. The problems with the Jews were pretty much over. And so now, it's basically the time for Islam to spread wide. So there were three different types of people now in Medina, right? Besides, of course, the, the Jews and the Munafiqeen, there's the righteous Sahaba, right? People like Abu Bakr Siddiq, people like Umar ibn Khattab. And then there's new Muslims, Bedouins who are coming into Islam from outside. They have no clue what Islam is about, but they just heard that this deen is becoming superior. And for them, you know, they either have some personal gain they want to make out of this, Maybe they just want to feel safe being part of Muslims. And so they're coming into Medina and accepting Islam just to follow the crowd. So those we call them the new Muslims, right? So the first category is what? The righteous. The second category is new Muslims, right? And the third one is sinful people, like sinful Muslims, sinful believers who, you know, they do backbiting, they do all sorts of sins and um, you know they need some sort of reminder and so the ninth year of hijrah is really that it's very similar to our times that's why the surah is so similar to our times because now islam has become very widespread how many of you were born muslims so pretty much all of us are born muslims here and so you know how it is with muslims we sometimes take islam for granted right and at the same time, what happens is we forget the importance of things like 
Iman, right? Which is something that comes as a prerequisite to Islam, which we'll talk about in a second. But for the most part, you know, this surah is addressing those Muslims who have forgotten what real Iman is. So Allah is addressing those believers and five times in the surah he says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. He repeats it five times in the surah. How many times? Five times. To emphasize, by who is the audience? It is, it is Muslims at the end of the day, but why is Allah addressing them as Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu? It's to remind them that, listen guys, you're going away from Iman. Come back to Iman, because that's your foundation. Right? And so it's so, so important for us to learn from this surah because we as Muslims today, alhamdulillah, we're many in number, right? There's about 1.6, 1.7 billion Muslims in the world. But what is something common we keep hearing about Muslims? That unfortunately we're big in number, but in terms of manners, in terms of our akhlaq, in terms of social harmony, is it there or is it not there? What do you think? For the most part, we need to work on it, right? We need to work on our manners and our akhlaq. And so this surah is that surah for our times. So this surah is broken up into three major parts. The first part, which is ayah number 1 till 8, as you can see in the illustration, this is really talking about honoring Allah and the Messenger. Okay? That's the first section, the first eight ayat of this surah is going to talk about honoring the Messenger, Messenger and, and by... By extension, of course, honoring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second section will talk about honoring each other as believers, as brothers. And that's from ayah number 9 till 12. And so if you notice the sequence, the foundation is honoring who? Allah and the Messenger. When you truly honor Allah and the Messenger, then it will be easy to honor each other. And then when you honor each other, that's when you attain taqwa, which will be like the third section of the surah from ayah number 13 till 18, where once you attain taqwa, then Allah will honor you. So you see how honor is like a consistent theme throughout the this, this surah. It starts with honoring Allah and the Messenger, which will result in you honoring each other. And then when you honor each other, then you really have proved that you have taqwa. And then when you have taqwa, Allah will honor you. So it's really about this constant thread of honor that's being repeated throughout the surah. Okay? And some basic themes that are repeated in the surah. So the word iman and its root word amn, which literally means faith, right? It's repeated 15 times in the surah. By the way, how many ayat in the surah? 18, right? 18. So 15 times Allah is mentioning iman. So you can imagine there's a huge connection between iman and social harmony, right? You want social harmony, what do we have to focus on? Our iman. And where does iman lie? Where is iman? It's in our hearts, right? Where is iman? It's in our hearts. Very good. And the, the, the second theme that's also consistent is taqwa. Taqwa is repeated 10 times in this Quran, in this surah. 10 times. And where does taqwa lie also? In the hearts, right? So iman is in the hearts. Taqwa is in the heart. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about manners all over the, the entire surah. There's about eight sections, inshallah, that we're going to talk about. But eight sections of different types of manners. But at the end of the day, where does it all come back to? The heart, right? So we'll notice also that the word qulubikum, your hearts, is also mentioned three times in the surah. Okay? 
So these are some, some details that I need you to keep in your mind as we go along through the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now another basic Islam 101 lesson is that, you know, Islam on the outside is beautiful. It's like that tree that you see outside with nice fruits. But what really made the tree come out in its final form? What was required in the beginning? Iman, right? And this is usually the journey of a disbeliever into Islam. First of all, that Iman, that you know, strong conviction in the heart is developed as Iman. And then through time, what happens? That Iman, once the believer, once this disbeliever believes truly that you know, there is one God and, and he wants to follow this deen, then he accepts Islam, right? So the outward Islam is a result of inward Iman. Yes or no? But because most of us have born into, we're born into Islam, what have we kind of skipped? What have we skipped? The internal iman, the conviction, right? And some, some, that's why, you know, it is known that many new Muslims who come into Islam are stronger in their deen than born Muslims. Yes, how many of you agree to that? Yes, usually, why? Because they've gone through the proper process. Just like the Sahaba, right? They went through that process. They went through the root process of true Iman in the heart that would then come out with the tongue of Shahada through external Islam. But because most of us are born into Islam, we don't go through that process. So what the Surah does, it reminds us of the importance of Iman and Taqwa in our hearts and connects it in a beautiful way to social harmony, harmony in a society, harmony in our communities. Is that clear so far? Yes? Everything okay? Very good. So what is Iman and what is Taqwa and what's the relationship between the two? This is also a very important introduction to have before we start the ayat. So Iman is this beautiful thing in your heart, right? It's this love that's in your heart for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Love for Rasulullah love for your fellow human beings, love for yourself, love for your family. So the essence is what? Love. Can I hear again? What is the essence of Iman? It is love, right? And Iman and love resides in the heart. So what is Taqwa then? Taqwa is actually comes from the root word wiqaya in the Arabic language, which actually means protection. And so... What is the human nature is to protect something that you value, something that you find precious, right? And so when you buy a new phone, what's the next thing you buy? A screen protector, right? Or a cover. Why? Because you want to protect your phone. Because it's precious to you, correct or no? How many of you have bought a cover or a screen protector for your phones? Yes, because we value our phones, right? And so similarly, you know, this Iman that's in your heart, this love that's in your heart, is actually supposed to be the most precious thing in our, in our lives. The most precious thing that we have is Iman. This is what's going to benefit us on the Day of Judgment. Yes or no? Right? Allah says that on that day, on the Day of Judgment, your money, your children will be of no benefit. What will, be your, what will be the only thing that will be of benefit to you? It's your sound heart. It's your heart that has iman in it. And so this is supposed to be the most valuable and precious thing in our lives. And therefore taqwa is your mechanism to protect this iman. 
It's like this shield that's going to protect this iman from being corrupted. That's going to protect this love that you have in your heart from being protected. So that's really the essence of the surah, right? It starts with iman in your heart and your attitude towards this iman. If you, if you value iman, you will protect your iman with taqwa. If you don't value your iman, will you have any interest to protect it? No, right? And so therefore you won't have taqwa. And when you don't have protection, what's going to happen to your iman? It's going to go down. Because as you know, iman increases and decreases, doesn't it? And so to have social harmony in a society, right? What is social harmony? It's really love that's spread throughout the society. There is peace in society. There is justice and there is unity. These are the fundamental components of social harmony in a society, right? But the essence of that is love and iman in your heart that's protected with taqwa. And so this surah emphasizes iman and taqwa over and over and over again to remind us that if we want social harmony in our society, then we have to work on our iman and our taqwa. That is supposed to be the essence of this society. That love that we have for each other, love for Allah and the Prophet love for ourselves and our families. That's the essence. And so, you want social harmony in a society? Before we talk about society, you need to have, so, you need to have harmony in your heart. When do you have harmony in your heart? When you have iman and taqwa. And then you need to have harmony in your homes. You know, there's no point talking about social harmony when there's no harmony in your homes. When there's no harmony between husbands and wives. There's no harmony between parents and children. And so it's, it's like a step-by-step -step process. First of all, you have harmony in your own heart. Because you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not change the state of a people. He will not change the state of this society, this community, until we individually change the state of ourselves. And so change starts with ourselves. We need to focus on this iman, this taqwa, first of all, individually. And then, you know, Allah subhanahu wa says, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu, quu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. Right? So start by protecting yourself, and then your families, and then the community will come as a result. Right? So just to give you another perspective on, yes, we're talking about social harmony, but things don't change in society until we change, until we work on our individual iman. Every single one of us, inshallah. So, another very important you know, aspect of the surah is manners. And so the Prophet ﷺ said in this hadith, that, that the only reason I have been sent is to perfect good manners. Subhanallah. So the essence of deen is good manners. And if you want to know the manners of the Muslims today, go for Umrah or Hajj. How many of you have been to Hajj? Yes. There is where we really see the reality of our manners, right? Especially when you go to places like Muzdalifah, where you see all the garbage that's being thrown. Where you see people, you know, hitting each other and fighting with each other to kiss the black stone. Where you, you, you know, don't have this proper manners and queuing up in lines. Yes, how many of you have experienced that? You want to know how manners are? Look at how people, you know, act like on the roads, how they drive their cars. Yes? How many of you know families who are fragmented because of... Uh, you know, fights over inheritance or money. How many of you know cases of family disputes? 
That's it? Okay, so, mashallah, the community here is pretty much in harmony already, mashallah. Very good. So, this is something that's widespread. Akhlaq is like a tragedy today. Many people say that, you know, the non-Muslims have better akhlaq than us. And Muslims, we are obsessed with the external part. We're obsessed with looking Muslim. We're obsessed with our external appearances. Whereas internally, the hearts are not very clean, right? And if you look at, you know, this, this idea of social harmony, what is shaitan's objective? Shaitan's objective is to do the exact opposite. He wants, our, instead of our hearts to be filled with love, he wants it to filled, be filled with what? What's the opposite of love? Hate, very good. What's the opposite of justice? Injustice. What's the opposite of peace? Corruption and, you know, resistance. And the opposite of unity is fragmentation. Does that remind you of anything? Disunity, hatred, injustice, corruption. Does it remind you of many Muslims today? And many Muslim communities? Yes, unfortunately. And so that's really shaitan's game. Is to make us fragmented and then you know, destroy everything because of the iman and the hearts not being there. We have become people who are obsessed with our external appearances and have neglected the reality and importance of the inner, inner beauty of iman and the importance of iman deep inside our hearts. And so this iman in your heart is reflected in your manners. And manners, usually when you talk about manners, you usually talk about حقوق ibad, right? Being good-mannered with people around you in society. But that's just one aspect. There's two other dimensions. The other more important dimension is your manners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your manners, your manners with Rasulullah And then your manners with yourself. Do you respect yourself? Do you love yourself? Do you take care of yourself? So there's three dimensions to manners. And like we said, when the hearts are clean, the manners will be clean inshallah, right? So the, again, the emphasis on hearts, hearts, hearts. Three times, قُلُوبِكُمْ is mentioned in the surah. And so, one of the reasons why the Muslims' akhlaq today, we're in this tragedy of bad manners when it comes to akhlaq and etiquette and ethics, is this idea of not understanding the difference between law and morality or manners, right? So everybody understands halal and haram. Everybody knows it's haram to kill, it's haram to drink alcohol, haram to, you know, be involved in riba, and haram to, like, you know, steal and gamble, all sorts of halal and haram things. Everybody knows that, right? Yes? But morality, it's something intangible. It's something that you can't really measure. You can't really measure how bad it is to backbite, can you? You can't really measure, you know, hatred towards your fellow human being. You can't really measure, you know, having negative assumptions. These are all thoughts. These are all, you know, attitudes of a believer. These are emotions. You can't really measure how much you hate someone, can you? And so because these are immeasurable, these are things that we can't measure, we have discounted them and we have paid more attention to the law. And subhanAllah, you know, if you look at the number of ayat in the Quran that talk about law and halal and haram and ahkam, then it comes out to about 7% of the Qur'an only. So you know, the, the Qur'an has more than 6,000 ayat in it, right? 
if you just sum up all the ayat of Ahkam, it comes up to how much of the entire Quran? 7% only. What about the remaining 93%? What's that talking about? It's talking about manners and attitude, right? Through different means, right? Of course, through the stories of the prophets and the stories and the teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like the core message of Islam and the Quran is to, to build a character that thinks the right way, that has the right attitude towards life and that's the, that has the right kind of emotional state. These are all internal matters, they're not external. And so, the problem here is a problem of prioritization. We have given more priority to something that is just 7%. Like who is seen as a, a bigger criminal in society? Someone who drinks alcohol or someone who is known to do backbiting? What do you think? Hands up for those of you who think that society will think that the person who drinks alcohol is a bigger criminal in society than someone who, drink, who just does, does backbiting. Yes, so many of you agree to that, right? Society does have this messed up priority, right? According to the Quran, these manners, these attitudes, these emotions, and even something like ghiba and backbiting, serious crimes. There's an entire surah, Surah Al-Humaza, which talks about you know, our attitude towards each other. And wailun li kulli humaza very harsh language, okay? Compared to alcohol and other sins. I'm not underestimating these other sins, but I'm just telling you that we, can, we have to be fair and we have to give priority to what the Quran gives priority, not to what society gives us priority. And so this surah is also filled with many do's and don'ts. And interestingly, there's eight do's and eight don'ts. Subhanallah. So, you know, when we talk about do's, ittaqullah is mentioned twice in number one and number seven. There is investigate your news, verify, fatabayanu. There is aslihu, three times mentioned, right? Aslihu, aslihu, fixed, reconcile. Whenever there's conflict, there's avoid assumptions. These are all the do's in the surah. And then there's eight don'ts as well. Don't proceed, don't la tuqaddimu, don't proceed. We'll talk about this in a second. Don't raise your voices, don't talk casually, don't mock, don't insult, don't ridicule, don't, don't spy, don't backbite. You see, do's and don'ts, these are all like, this is all ta'deeb. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is giving us a, a, a very detailed lesson on, you know, these are the things you should do, these are the things you should not do if you want to have social harmony. And the proof that you will be able to do these things is if you have really iman in your hearts. That you will, inshallah, protect with taqwa. So are we okay so far? Yes? Everybody okay? Very good. So now, inshallah, we're going to get into the surah. This was just an introduction, but very important to understand what's going on in the surah before we dive in. So there's going to be eight parts to this talk tonight, okay? Um, each, each part is going to be talking about one aspect of manners. The first part is our manners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's where the surah starts off. A'udhu billahi rajim rahim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off by addressing the believers. Ya amanu. He's talking to every single believer out there. And he's reminding us, remember, this is ninth year hijrah, so they're already believers. But he's reminding them, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasoolihi wa attaqullah inna Allah samiyun alim. Basically, what this ayah is talking about is prioritization. Okay? 
Whatever Allah and His Prophet whatever they have come with as a deen, as teachings, you don't come up with a bigger priority. Don't try to supersede whatever Allah and His Messenger has, has brought to you as a, as a deen, as a way of life. Whatever they have given you is enough for you. What they have given you is the perfect way of life. You, can, you should not do taqdeem, you should not supersede them. And this is like really from this beginning of the surah, Allah is really painting a beautiful picture to us of how the state of the Muslims has come to such a state where akhlaq has become so bad, right? Why? Because we have done taqdeem to ahkam and laws over morality, right? Manners. And so Allah is telling us, listen, you're giving, you have not given the priorities as I have given them in the Quran. The priorities are your attitude, your emotions, and your thoughts, your love towards each other. That is the attitude, the external and the ahkam and halal haram. These are things that are, yes, they are there, but that's just 7% of the Quran. So when you get your priorities right, when you make what Qur'an makes important, you make it important in your life, then you are in sync with the Qur'an. But when you distance yourself from the Qur'an, then you miss this prioritization. So, لا تقدموا Don't try to come up with your own solutions for social harmony. This surah is enough for you. Whatever Allah and the Messenger has come with, that's enough for us. We don't need to come up with a new deen. We don't need to come up with new creative ideas. What they have come up with is enough. And so this is a manner and respect that we should have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the way you talk. It's your attitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Qur'an. Right? You humble yourself. This attitude of being humble and having this humility to whatever Allah and His Messenger have, have given you in terms of instruction. And so this idea of Allah being full of knowledge and wisdom and being fully aware Compared to our limited knowledge, this is another theme that's recurring throughout the surah. Al-Alim, the, the beautiful name of Allah, Al-Alim, is mentioned four times in the surah. And then there's Al-Hakim and Khabir. Why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is over and over, you know, emphasizing that He knows and you don't know. He knows what's best for you, you don't know what's best for you. He knows the, uh, the state of your heart, you don't know. Okay? So, لا تقدموا بين يدي الله ورسوله. That's lesson number one in the first section of this. When we give a priority to akhlaq, akhlaq will change. You know, if, if someone recently asked me, one of my friends asked me that, why, what's the number one reason that the Muslims' akhlaq over the past hundred years have deteriorated? What's the number one reason? The answer, Allah answered it for us. It's because we didn't give akhlaq a priority over the past hundred years. We have given, you know, other areas of deen more priority, like, you know, fiqh and sharia and maybe, you know, hadith and other areas which are important. We're not underestimating their importance. But, you know, these areas are important once the akhlaq is in place. But because we have neglected akhlaq over the past hundred years, this has become our state. So what needs to do, what do we need to do to change this? We need to reprioritize. Make akhlaq a fundamental priority for every single family. And then halal and haram can be taken care of in its proper weight, 
right? So giving the weight to akhlaq more than the weight to other areas of the deen, right? That's what we need to do. We need to do a rebalancing of our understanding of prioritization. The second part of akhlaq has to deal with akhlaq towards the Prophet And here, there's really two groups that are being addressed. And the first group, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling them, لا ترفعوا Again, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Repeat it again. O oh, you who claim to believe, لا ترفعوا أسواتكم فوق صوت النبي Don't raise your voice above the voice of the Prophet And don't speak to him casually like you speak to each other. Perhaps your entire deeds will be destroyed. Okay, so this is really, again, teaching manners of how to talk when the Prophet is present. And you know, the, the ulama of tafsir comment that this was actually in relation to an incident that happened between Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Umar ibn Khattab These two sahabas who are, of course, we all know who they are, right? Their status. They, in one incident, got into like a minor debate and they started raising their voices. And so this ayah came down to remind them that, listen, while the Prophet is amongst you, don't raise your voices. Don't forget he's among you. So such a high standard for them, because Allah warns them, right? Imagine, Allah is telling Abu Bakr Siddiq and Umar indirectly, that perhaps your entire deeds will be wasted, if you forget your manners with Rasulullah. But what is the lesson for us? The lesson for us is, we, in terms of, when, you know, when we talk about Rasulullah in our gatherings, in, you know, mentioning a hadith, talking about certain incident in the seerah, we need to also have this honor and respect for Rasulullah in the way we speak to, about him, in the way we, you know, talk about him, in the way we recite the hadith, making sure that we're not misquoting or, you know, misunderstanding something. Just this manner, this regard for Rasulullah should be something that we need to spread in our families and in our hearts, inshallah. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises those people then who lower their voices. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَغُضُّونَ أَسْوَاتَهُمْ عِنْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَغُضُّونَ أَسْوَاتَهُمْ عِنْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُولَئِكَ الَّذِينَ امْتَحَنَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ لِلتَّقْوَى Those who speak respectfully, those who have this honor, those are the ones who Allah has really tested with taqwa. They have passed the test of taqwa in their hearts. لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةٌ وَأَجْرٌ عَظِيمٌ Allah here is highlighting His mercy and His forgiveness. So even for you know, the people who mistakenly did raise their voices, Allah is giving them hope now. That don't worry about it. You did a mistake, you didn't know, you forgot maybe. Now lower your voices and I will forgive you inshallah. And I will compensate you with a huge reward. And so, you know, this idea of taqwa, Allah talks about it in another place in the Qur'an. He calls it libasu taqwa. وَلِبَاسُ taqwa ذَلِكَ خَيْرٌ And, you know, libas is known as clothing, right? And so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why did He call it libasu taqwa? Because, you know, I don't know if you know who this character is. How many of you know who this is? Okay, it's the kids, mashallah, they know. This is Optimus Prime kids, right? From Transformers, yes? So, you know, Optimus Prime is someone who is a human being who gets into this machine that makes him extremely strong and protects him from any kind of harm, right? Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by using this term, libasu taqwa, He's telling us that, listen, just like we walk out of our homes with clothes on, any of you walks out of your homes without clothes on? No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us, don't walk out of your homes without taqwa. 
Dress with taqwa before you leave the homes. Even in our house, none of us walks around the house unless you're weird. None of us walks around the house without clothes on, right? So have taqwa just like you have clothes on all the time. In your house, outside the house, it should be your libas. It should be something that you, that you never take off. It's so close to you, it's so dear to you. It's like that constant shield and protection for that iman in your heart. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then talks about another group of people and how they had a bad attitude with Rasulullah. So the first group was people like Abu Bakr Siddiq and Umar who raised their voices. Now the second group of people are these Bedouins who were new Muslims. They didn't know how to deal with the Prophet They didn't have that teachings. And so they walk up to the Prophet's hujurat. And what does hujurat mean, by the way? That is the name of the surah. And hujurat really means rooms or compartments. And these, this was referring to the rooms and the compartments of Rasulullah's wives. And so there were nine hujurat, really, you know, of Rasulullah's wives. And he would, of course, spend time with each one of his wives separately in these different rooms. And so these Bedouins, who are new Muslims, they walk up to these hujurat. And they start calling out very loudly and disrespectfully, unknowingly. They say, Ya Muhammad, Ya Muhammad, Ukhraj. You know, without saying Rasulullah, without respecting him, they're invading his privacy. And so, Those who call you from behind these compartments, most of them don't realize what they're doing. If they only waited patiently before, while you would finish your private affairs and then come out to them, Allah would it, would be, it would have been better for them. But then Allah says, you know what? It's okay. Wallahu ghafoorun rahim. Allah is most definitely forgiving and merciful. And so again, this constant theme of mercy and forgiveness is repeated throughout the surah. Al-Rahim, Allah's beautiful name, Al-Rahim is mentioned three times in the surah. Al-Ghafoor is mentioned twice, and Al-Tawab is mentioned once. So in a surah of social harmony, why is Tawbah and Maghfirah and mercy and forgiveness repeated so much? Allah is highlighting here that we will make mistakes, we will have conflicts, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept the door of mercy and Tawbah open for us to give us hope. To make us people who have hope all the time. And at the same time, the other flip side of this is, Allah is teaching us, if you want to have social harmony, then we need to be people of forgiveness. We need to be people of mercy towards our you know, families. We need to be people who forgive our you know, spouses, our children, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors and our friends and our colleagues. And we, we need to spread this forgiveness because part of having a clean heart, part of having a heart of iman and love, is being constantly forgiving. Living by these beautiful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, being rahim, just like Allah is a rahim, you be rahim in your life, in your you know, family circles, in your communities. Be ghafoor, be tawab also, be forgiving. So another very important highlight by the way, mercy and forgiveness is mentioned six times in the surah. Right? So again, very important thing to, to note here. So that's, that's, we're done with respect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, respect to Rasulullah Next, we're going to talk about how do we, what kind of etiquette we need to have with news that spread in society. Okay, how to deal with news. 
And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here says, you know, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, again, addressing the believers. إِن جَاءَكُمْ فَاسِقٌ مِلَبَئٍ فَتَبَيَّنُوا أَن تُصِيبُوا قَوْمًا بِجَهَالَةٍ فَتُصْبِحُوا عَلَى مَا فَعَلْتُمْ نَادِمِينَ He's teaching us how to deal with news. Now don't we live in the age of news nowadays? Yes? With Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and you know, many people, how many of you watch news on television? How many of you have that habit of doing that? MashaAllah, very few, so alhamdulillah, that's great. Yani. So people who watch news, out of the news that you watch, how many of it is really true? How many of it is really verified news? Very little, right? Correct? And so Allah here is teaching us the attitude that a believer should have. We, a believer is someone who doesn't just take any news without verifying. Right? He says, فَتَبَيَّنُوا Verify the news that comes to you, especially if it's from a fasiq. And fasiq is someone who outwardly sins. You know, someone who has this habit of outwardly sinning. And so anyone who is, in, you know, getting you that kind of news, don't just be someone who is naive and you take that news without verifying. We need to be people who verify. Before you forward that WhatsApp message, verify that that hadith is authentic. Before you, ver you know, forward that message or that email, verify, is it true? Is it authentic? Who's the source? Right? Because when you spread these false news in the community, what, what does that result in? Problems, right? Misconceptions, misunderstandings. And so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that if, if, you, if you do spread this false news, then you will be regretful. And we have so many incidences in the seerah of negative news being spread without verification. One of them was the incident of Aisha radiallahu anha, right? The ifk story, where you know there was a big slander against Umm al-Mu'mineen, our mother, where she was accused of, you know, terrible, terrible things. And then we have other examples of seerah where there was in one of the ghazawat, Rasulullah there was a, a rumor that was spread that he was killed. Yes, you remember that from seerah? And another incident in Hudaybiyah, there was a rumor that was spread that Uthman was killed. And so the, Allah's teaching us through this surah is that be people who verify news. Don't just be naive. Don't just take everything and believe it. Verify. You know, and here there's a subtle message that, you know what? If a, fasiq, if a non fasiq comes to you with news, if someone who's truthful comes to you with news, believe it. And if a liar comes to you with news, just believe it. If it's a fasiq, Allah's saying, فتبينوا. Allah's not saying reject it. But just verify it before you accept it. Okay, so th these are the manners of dealing with news. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on a tangent and reminds us that Rasulullah is among you. وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Even though he is not among us physically, but he is among us through his seerah, through the hadith, through the sunnah, through the, his tradition. He is among us. لَوْ يَطِيعُكُمْ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ لَعَنِتُمْ If he had followed you and obeyed you in many of what you want to do, then you would most definitely be distressed. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانَ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has beautified iman in your hearts. See again, Allah is connecting everything to the hearts. Even verifying news, Allah is connecting it to iman in our hearts. Allah has beautified iman in our hearts. And then, وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكُفْرَ وَالْفُسُوقَ وَالْعَسْيَانِ He has made kufr, disbelief, and all sorts of you know, sins and 
outward sinning and minor sins, asyan, these are all made detested to us, things that we don't like to do. These are in fact the guided people, those people who are set straight because they, they live their lives as if Rasulullah was among them. And here just a side note to, to inshallah for all of you to benefit from is that you know sometimes you need to in certain situations imagine that Rasulullah is among you so that you can make the right decisions. You know sometimes people ask, they have these questions, is this act halal or haram? Just ask yourself a simple question. If Rasulullah was with you, would you do that act or no? If the answer is no, then you know your answer right away. So it's like this automatic test you can do for yourself for any situation in your life. Know that Rasulullah is among you. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is telling us that this is a major, major favor of Allah upon us. It's a blessing and a favor. And Allah is full of knowledge, full of wisdom. So the so part one was remind me again respect and manners with who Allah subhanahu wa taala. Part two was respect and manners with Rasulullah What about part three? It was manners in dealing with news. I can't hear you. News. Very good. Part number four now is what results when you don't verify news. You see how beautifully this surah is connected. When you don't verify news, when you spread false rumors. When you jump into conclusions without doing tabayyun, without verifying, then conflicts arise in society. Which is again, contradicting to harmony, right? When you have conflict. So here Allah is giving us an example of two groups of believers. When two parties of who? Believers. Allah is talking about mu'mineen here, right? He's telling us two parties of believers are literally going out at each other, wanting to fight against each other. If that happens, so let's say there's group A and group B, fighting against one another, and we are all group C. We are the society, the community. What is the command to us? Allah is telling us, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا Group number C, when A and B are fighting with one another, what's the job of group C? To make peace. To reconcile between them, to make peace. That is the job of numbers or of group C. Your job as group C is not to sit back and eat popcorn and watch the fight. And this is something that you know used to happen back in school days, unfortunately, right? We hear of like two guys fighting and we all look forward to going after school to see the fight and you know we make a nice circle and the two people fight with one another and you know we're cheering for whoever. So the, the, you know, the believer's attitude or the responsibility Allah is giving us is aslihu baynahuma make peace among them you're not supposed if you're sitting back and watching the fight you're not, you're not uh, you know, qualifying to be a believer go out of your way and sometimes you know, when you do islah can you get in trouble? yes you might even get punched you might get slapped you might get sweared at you might get in a lot of trouble but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us this is your job. You are one, one community, you have to make peace between group A and B if you are group C. And then what's interesting is that Allah subhanahu wa says, after Islah is done, فَإِنْ بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى If after the Islah is done, Alhamdulillah, A, B are now good with each other, there's Islah going on. 
If after that, let's say B attacks A again, after the reconciliation is done. Now what is the role of the remaining groups? Now group A and group C have to fight against group B. فَإِنْ بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمْ عَلَى الْأُخْرَى فَقَاتِلُوا الَّتِي تَبْغِي حَتَّى تَفِيَا إِلَى أَمْرِ اللَّهِ So if A and B, like let's do a quick recap. If A and B are fighting, what is the responsibility of C? To make reconciliation between A and B. Let's say reconciliation is done. Now if group B again cause mischief and you know they, they cause problems in society, what is the role of C and A? To fight, not to do islah, now it's to fight. To really teach them a terrible lesson that, listen you guys, we just did islah, you can't, you can't repeat this again. So you literally fight them. Now the goal is not to kill them, the goal is to bring them back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here, qatilu is different than uqtulu by the way in the Arabic language. Many people think this means qatilu means chop their heads off. No, that's not what Allah is saying. Qatil is different than uqtul. Okay, qatil is to prevent them basically in the Arabic language. It's to do what is, what is enough to prevent them from doing what they're doing. To disable them, you can say. Okay, so Allah is not calling us to kill each other. He's just saying prevent them from causing more harm. Until they come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then fa'in fa'at, and then when they do come back to Allah, then aslihu baynahuma bil adli wa aqsitu. Then make peace with them again with justice. Forget that they were people who did mischief. And be just with them because Allah loves those who are just. Inna allaha yuhibbul muqsiteen. So these are some ethics that we need to have with each other when it comes to conflicts. Now do conflicts happen in our societies? Yes or no? Can I see hands up? We see many conflicts. Why are these conflicts not resolved? Because we are not doing islah. Don't you agree? Right? We are not fulfilling that role. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you notice these ayat, how many times is islah mentioned? فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا See? فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا And then again, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا بِالْعَدْلِ وَأَقْصِتُوا So, this is like, Allah is repeating something to emphasize that this is what you need to do to resolve conflicts in your society. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of this brotherhood, beautiful unity that brings everybody together. And aslihu is mentioned right again. So the third time again. Reconcile, reconcile. And by the way, this is a command. Right? Allah is not giving us an option, it's a command. If you claim to believe, you need to do islah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ أَخْوَةً There is no doubt about it. Believers are brothers. And this of course applies to sisters as well. Believers are, ikhwa here means like you are literally blood brothers. There's two ways of saying brothers in Arabic. There's ikhwan or ikhwa. Ikhwan literally means brothers in a, you know, a casual way. Like people who have a common goal, let's say you're working for a common cause. That's ikhwan. But ikhwa is blood brothers. Literally. So Allah chose the more heavy word for, for brotherhood to emphasize that believers are brothers. So make peace between your brothers. You know, you, how can you just sit back and watch each, each of these two groups fight against one another? They're your brothers. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ And have taqwa of Allah, 
so that you may be forgiven. You know, Allah is reminding us to have taqwa. You want your iman to be protected, you want society to have harmony, then make peace, make islah. Three times emphasis in the surah. It's pretty serious, isn't it? Right? لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ Allah is saying, if you want to be forgiven, then you better do this. How do you expect mercy to come on you if you're not people of islah? If you're people who wait for conflicts to happen and you wait for this drama to happen in society, unfortunately. You know, these are all diseases of the heart when you're waiting for a fight to happen and when you get happy when one group gets hurt by another group. And this becomes just popular news and entertainment for you to follow. Right? Two groups fighting one another. And this becomes like good topics for gossip and discussion over like chai or samosas, right? We just talk about conflicts in society. So how many parts are we done with so far? We're done with five parts, right? We're, we're left with three parts, alhamdulillah. The pace is good. Uh, we're going well. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about how to have manners with Muslims. How to have manners with Muslims. Before we continue, I would like to just take like a small break. So if you, all of you don't mind just standing up, because I don't want you to fall asleep. So all of you stand up, inshallah, do a bit of stretching. And uh, take some few deep breaths. Inhale. Exhale. Again, one more time. Inhale deep. Let the oxygen go all the way to your brains. And exhale. One more time. Exhale. Now, alhamdulillah, you know, try to give some massage to your neighbor. Alhamdulillah, and then exchange. So, soldier massage, proper, with two hands, soldier massage. Is this working? So, spread the love, spread the brotherhood, and do massage for each other. Shoulder, nice soldier massage. Don't hurt each other, please. It's painting. Okay, alhamdulillah, you can sit now. So all of you feel good now? Yes? Ba energy is back, inshallah? So hang on for a little bit, inshallah, and we'll be done soon, inshallah. So now it's like the juicy part. The juicy part is how we deal with Muslims. And here we're going to come across six commands that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will talk to us about. Six commands that we need to have as believers. Um, what's amazing is how Allah talks in these ayat, which, and this is something that, you know, when we recite Surah Al-Hujrat, we don't really pay attention to the, the way the, the surah is transitioning, and the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks, and the order of, of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks. And so what I'm trying to illustrate to you here is how all these ideas are flowing together. So inshallah, how many of you have memorized Surah Al-Hujurat, by the way? Okay, so the young, young, mashallah, people have memorized. All of you, inshallah, now, after this talk, inshallah, it's being recorded, I want you, to, inshallah, all of you to make a commitment to yourself to memorize this surah and recite it in your salah when you're at home praying your nafil. Because, you know, it's going to be super easy to memorize now that you know how the surah is divided and how the ideas are, are you know, moving from one idea to another. So now Allah talks about 
how to have manners w- between Muslims and each other. Okay? Like I told you, there are six commands here, right? Six commands. Three of them are going to be talking about manners that we have in public, in front of each other. Three commands for how do we deal with each other in front of each other, face to face. And then the, the other three are going to be manners that we deal with each other in privacy, behind our backs. Okay? So three face to face, three behind each other. So the, the three commands for, you know, when you are together face to face, first of all, Ya Ladina Amanu, oh, you who claim to believe, again, repeated. Believers, la yaskhar qawman min qawman. Don't make fun of each other, that's number one. And then the next one is, wala talmizu anfasakum, and don't defame one another, don't embarrass one another, don't put down one another. And then the last one is, wala tanabazu bil alqab, and don't call each other with names, nicknames that hurt each other, right? Don't make fun of each other basically and, and put down each other. Don't hurt your fellow Muslims' feelings with your words. So let's look at each one of these. Number one, Ya Amanu, La Yaskhar Min Allah is saying, let not one group make fun of another group. Perhaps that other group is better than this group. And then he goes on and talks about the same context from a female's perspective. Why is he addressing the males and the females separately? Because this is an issue that both males and females have to pay attention to separately, right? So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us is don't make fun of each other. Is this common nowadays, by the way? Making fun? A lot of entertainment is based on making fun. If you are into like stand-up comedy, what makes stand-up comedians funny? It's how much they can make fun of other people's accents, right? How much they can make fun of other people's nationalities, cultures, traditions, accents, skin color. So, there, so there's, in the heart of making fun of each other is racism and, and feeling that you are superior to the other. If you didn't feel superior to the other, then you will not make fun, okay? And many people take it as entertainment, as something casual. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is saying, La yaskhar min qawman. It's pretty serious. You know, Arabs making fun of Indians, Indians making fun of Pakistanis, Bengalis. Yeah, there's this common, and you have these jokes also, right? The Sikh jokes also. And, and each, each group has made jokes about the other group. And it's very common. And we sometimes casually raise these, you know, ideas even in our children. And we... Teach them from a young age that it's okay to look down upon an Indian who's driving a bicycle. It's okay to look down on the guy who's cleaning the garbage. Right? But Allah here is, it's very strong language by the way. It's very strong language. Allah saying, oh you who claim to believe, don't make fun of each other. Is that serious or no? It's a pretty serious tone. Okay? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on and says, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And don't defame yourselves. Now he's talking about like defaming one another, right? You know, it's very common on YouTube when you have like a certain scholar defaming another scholar or another speaker. Have you seen any of those videos? Like a two-hour video on how this sheikh or this mufti or this speaker is misguided 
how this speaker is basically you know on the wrong track don't listen to him beware he has aqidah issues he has problems with his aqidah right you've seen those videos allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah is telling us you want social harmony don't defame yourselves and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say don't defame each other what did he say don't defame yourself why because when you defame your fellow brother it's like you're defaming yourself because you you are all one anyway subhanallah and this has become so common you have one sect making fun of another sect one sect talking badly about another sect one group talking about another group one organization talking badly about another organization one society talking bad about another society one project talking about another project is this common in our societies or no these are the ayat for us, my dear brothers and sisters. Allah is using pretty serious language. Don't defame yourselves. By you, with that attitude of you defaming your fellow brothers, you are only defaming yourself. And then he says, Don't call each other with nicknames that hurt you know, the, the other person. You know, and sometimes... This is, um, I don't know how common this is nowadays, but you usually have, like, I remember back in school, we used to call, like, funny names, like, you know, Pinky, or Blackie, or Shorty, or Fatty, you know? These names, these nicknames that you, that are spread in society, they really hurt the person, indirectly, right? And it becomes a joke. A lot of people, especially in the young community, they face bullying because of this, right? And it's very, very common now, bullying, where groups of young people attack certain individuals just because you know they look a certain way or just because they dress in a certain way or but just because they come from a certain different nationality so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us wala tanabazu bil alqab and then he says bi'sa lismul fusuq ba'da al-iman Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying all of these things making fun defaming each other calling each other with nicknames these are all contradicting to iman when you have iman in your heart, then these are all ugly, ugly words to be even be associated with. Allah is saying, after iman, you are using this filthy language with each other? After iman, you are making fun of each other? After iman, you are defaming one another? What kind of iman is this? Okay, And you know, the, the scariest part of this ayah is the end. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَتُبْ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, whoever does not make tawbah, indeed they are the wrongdoers. They are the ones who are doing zulm. And by the way, zulm is a pretty serious crime in the Qur'an. It comes from the root word zalam, which literally means darkness. And you know, why did Allah use this language? Because He's teaching us that those who do these three things, those who make fun, those who defame, those who call nicknames and make fun of each other, they, their hearts are filled with darkness. When your heart is filled with iman, there is nur in your heart. When your heart is filled with ego and arrogance and pride and hatred, then there is zalam, there is zulm. You're doing injustice to yourself, you're doing injustice to others. And wallahi, when we do injustice to others, we will be held accountable for this. This is a serious crime in the Qur'an. Okay? 
So, you know, the beauty of the Qur'an is when you reflect on its meanings and the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks, it really makes you wake up, right? Because if you're just reciting this without understanding, you'll go and, and over these ayat casually without really reflecting on the seriousness of the language. And so this is the benefit of tadabbur, the benefit of reflection, the benefit of pondering upon the language and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to us. You know, it's pretty serious language. So Allah is making a reality that's very casual, He's making it a serious deal now. Okay? And so what comes out of the heart, what comes out of the tongue, originates in the heart. Remember this, it's like a standard uh, rule. Because you know, many people, they make fun and they crack jokes. And they say, you know what, uh, he's my brother, he's, it's okay, he won't mind it. But wallahi, whoever makes fun, whoever defames, they have a problem with their own heart. Because this filthy language will not come out of your tongue unless your heart already, already has that disease in it. There is an iman problem in the heart. Okay? So any, and, and, and by the way, here is another signal for all of you. If you are someone who, like filthy language comes out of your tongue, if you constantly make fun of others, you defame others, then this is a signal for you that there is an iman problem. Because one of the signs of iman is good speech. Okay? And so now we're talking about the second, um, or before we talk about second, let's talk a little bit about this very important topic of ego. Why would someone make fun of another group? Why would someone defame another group? Why would someone you know, call out nicknames to other groups? It's a problem of the heart. It's a problem of iman. And the root problem is ego. The root problem is really arrogance and pride. And so we need to have like a, a few minutes of discussion on what ego is and you know, the dangers of ego. Because wallahi, if you look at the first story in the Qur'an, it's really a, a, a lesson about ego, right? There was Iblis who didn't do sajda to Adam, to Adam because he had what kind of problem? Ego, right? It was arrogance and pride and ego. And you know, he started justifying his actions, not saying sorry, not doing tawbah. Whereas, you know, Adam and Hawa, they made a mistake. But what did they do? They did tawbah, they repented. They didn't have ego issues. So you have two parties. You have, in both cases, both of them, they will be making mistakes. But one party is going to make tawbah. They'll have humility. They'll be humble. Because, you know, you need humility to say sorry. You need humility to accept that you made a mistake. You need humility to be responsible and say, Ya Allah, I messed up. I'm sorry. But Iblis's nature is that he doesn't say sorry. Iblis's nature is that he looks down on other people which is ego, right? And that's what people do when they make fun of others. You think you are superior to the other. You know, the Prophet ﷺ in a, in a very, like, very tough hadith, he says, لا يدخل الجنة من كان في قلبه مثقال ذرة من كبر That he will not enter paradise whoever has even an atom's weight of arrogance and pride and ego in their hearts. So you know, the Sahaba, they were sitting around Rasulullah and they asked, one Sahabi asked, Ya Rasulullah, I like to dress up in nice shoes. Is that ego also? So the Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, Inna Allah jamilun yuhibbul jamal. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beautiful and He loves beauty. And so therefore, 
that Rasulullah is clarifying this misconception that it's, it's not about dressing nicely. It's not about having a nice car or a nice house or wearing designer clothes. No, that's not ego and pride. You can beautify yourself. You can wear nice clothes. You can, you know, show the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your life. And be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with these blessings. But what is ego? Rasulullah explained with two definitions. He says, looking down on people and rejecting the truth. These are the two signs of ego. Looking down on people, thinking that you are superior to others. And the, num and the second one is what? What's the second one? Rejecting the truth. So when someone comes to you with advice and you get irritated, you get annoyed, that's a sign of ego. When someone comes to you and says, Akhi, I think you did a mistake. You're, you're, that was, you're not supposed to do that. If you get offended, if you get angry and you react with anger, sign of ego. When someone comes to you with advice, you should take it. And you say, Zakallah khair, brother. You know, thank you for reminding me. Yes, I did mess up. I'm sorry. You know, people who have a problem saying sorry, ego issue. And you know, another sign of ego is, you know, when, when two people or two groups are, are arguing. And both groups are not, not basically stopping, right? Each group is trying to prove that they are right. One group is saying, I'm right. The other group is saying, I'm right. You're wrong, I'm right. You're wrong, I'm right. This fight between, constant struggle between right and wrong, this is also ego. When you can't stand defeat in an argument. You know, sometimes people argue with each other and the argument ends up becoming louder and louder and louder and sometimes it can even become physical. That is a sign of ego. When you are trying to prove that I have more knowledge than you. This is knowledge ego. I am a graduate of Harvard. I have graduated. I'm a PhD. I'm a Sheikh of Lani. I have graduated from Al-Azhar or from Medina. This is all ego. This is what the problem of Bani Israel were. They had an arrogance issue. They got so much involved in, in knowledge and, and tradition and you know, books and law that they, they had this ego. And that ego was their destruction because they rejected Rasulullah because he was from Banu Ismail and they were from Banu Ishaq. So knowledge ego is a serious, serious problem in our communities nowadays. You know, we constantly have these arguments and fights. No one is accepting to say, yeah, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. And you know, this constant need to win, especially in sports. If you lose a match, you get really upset. If you lose, if your team loses in cricket, you get really upset. That's a sign of ego also. You can't accept defeat. So this pride and ego and, you know, constant need to be noticed, constant need to be appreciated. You know, we live, we live in those times where, you know, social media and following and likes and comments and Snapchat and Instagram and, you know, how many fans you have. It's very dangerous because you know, ego comes in and you start expecting from people, not from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you want to be noticed by people, not by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to be appreciated by people, not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through salah teaches us humility. Right? When, when it comes to brotherhood and, and social harmony between fellow Muslims, Wallahi, if we prayed 
the right way, my dear brothers and sisters. If we prayed with khushu' then we would realize that salah is actually an act of humility. Allah is teaching us how to break our ego and our arrogance in salah. You humble your mind in ruku'ah. When you do ruku'ah, you're humbling. Your, your, your mind is doing sajda. And then when you go down into sajda, your heart is doing sajda. Your desires, your shahawat, your jealousy, your envy towards your fellow Muslim brothers, that's doing sajda. And you're saying, Allah, I am willing to destroy my ego because I want social harmony in my society. I'm not going to make fun of my fellow brothers. I'm not going to defame my fellow brothers and sisters. I'm not going to call them out with negative names. But when our salah becomes just an external practice, it becomes just like a robotic experience. It becomes mechanical, empty from the inside, no spirit inside, just external actions where we're constantly fighting with one another of whether we need to pray like this or like this or like this. We need to do to shout like this, or like this, or like this. That becomes basically a shallow society with no real spiritual insight. You know, we're empty from the inside. And so through salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us, have humility. When you have humility, wallahi, you will not make fun of your fellow brothers and sisters. Because you will not see yourself superior to them. You will not defame each other. In fact, a believer actually covers up his brother's flaws. Right or no? If you want, like how many of us is perfect? Don't we all have our flaws and our mistakes? Right or no? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us that if you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you know, cover up your flaws, you cover up your fellow brother's flaws. Don't expose them in a video. Don't talk about them in public in a negative way. You know, this is, this is serious heart disease, serious iman issues with people who are into that kind of stuff. And so humility through salah is what teaches us how to overcome this, this uh, evil in our societies. And let me, let me give you an illustration of what happens when you defame your fellow brother or your fellow sister. Okay? Basically, we, we both, ha- let's say this is the, the person who is going to throw that arrow, right? So we both have good deeds, bad deeds, good deeds, bad deeds, okay, in our accounts. When this person throws that arrow and defames his fellow brother, then actually what happens is his good deeds go to this person, and this person's bad deeds come to this person. So in fact, the person who is attacking is in a lose-lose situation. He's losing all his hasanat and increasing his sayyat, Whereas this person who is the victim, he's actually in a win-win situation. And that's why, you know, some of the tabi'een, they actually, you know, one of the tabi'een, like when he heard that he was, there was this person who was backbiting him constantly, he actually showed up in his house with a tray of, of dates as a gift to him. So that man was surprised. Why are you giving me gifts? He said, because I heard that, mashallah, you know, you do a lot of ghiba for me. And, you know, as a result, alhamdulillah, you know, uh, I'm getting a lot of reward from you, so jazakallah khair. Keep on doing what you're doing. You know? so the only loser is you. If you are making fun of others, the, it's going to come back to you. you know? This, this is a, a law that's in our... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this law in our creation. That when you give or send out negative energy, then you will attract negative energy back in your life. 
right? You will, you will attract that negative energy in your life. It will come back to you in one way or another. It might come back to you in the, in the means of some sickness in your health. It might come, to you, come back to you in the way your boss treats you the next day. It might come back to you in an argument in your house. It might come, come back to you with some misguidance in, in your children. Some sort of problem will come back to you because this is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you defame your fellow brother or sister, when you make fun, you are actually violating their rights. You are doing zulm. This is injustice. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala settles the score. When you do injustice to your fellow brother or sister, then you will have to pay for it in dunya. It comes back to you. Okay? And so that's why, like this explains why many Muslims today are in, in terrible financial problems. We have family issues. We have health issues. We have all sorts of problems in our lives. Emotional issues, psychological issues. Why? Because we are, const- we are casually, you know, doing zulm to our fellow brothers and sisters without noticing. And all this negative energy is coming back in our lives and we're paying the price. And then, you know, when you have financial problems and you have health issues and, and problems with family, then unfortunately, we don't get reminded. We, in fact, become even worse by blaming other people. We start blaming shaitan. We start blaming the government. You blame Israel or America or... You know, you, this, these harms that come in your life are supposed to be a means to remind you that something is wrong somewhere. I'm doing something wrong somewhere in my life. I need to fix myself. I need to work on my iman. But when that doesn't become a reminder, then that's a serious problem. Okay, that's the problem of ego then. And so, the next part is what, how we deal with fellow Muslims in private gatherings, in secret. Okay, so here is the three commands for when you are in private. Number one, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. Again, address to the believers. Ijtanibu kathiram minadlan. Avoid much assumptions. Avoid negative assumptions. Okay? Even a little bit of assumptions is a, a sin. And then the second command is wala tajassasu. Don't spy on each other. Don't do eavesdropping. eavesdropping. Don't invade other people's privacy. And the third one is, and don't do ghibah. وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا And don't backbite each other. Okay? So another three commands, but what's different about these commands? These are things you do behind your fellow Muslim or brothers, you know, uh, fellow Muslim brothers and sisters. These are things you do in secret. And so number one is, اجتنبوا كَثِيرًا مِنَ Avoid negative assumption. Always have husnul dhan. Assume the positive things about your fellow brothers and sisters. Don't fall into negative assumption. Negative assumption is from shaitan. He wants you to think negatively. And you know, I'll, I'll give you like a very easy example to understand on how assumptions work, right? How shaitan messes up our assumptions. Let's say I call my wife. And the phone is ringing, 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 but she doesn't answer. Now the reality of the matter is, my, I dialed the number, my wife didn't answer, right? Full stop. What does shaitan put in my mind? Assumptions. Maybe your wife is ignoring your call. Maybe your wife doesn't want to speak to you. Maybe your wife is stuck in the bathroom and the door is locked. Maybe your wife is in some trouble. Maybe someone stole your wife's phone. Now all these negative assumptions, what do they do to my emotional state? I'm going to either be upset or angry, 
or mad or stressed out. Right or no? But in reality, is any of that true? None of that is true, right? These are all assumptions, unnecessary assumptions, unnecessary thoughts that just shaitan keeps whispering in our minds. And these are like the, the, the serious whispers of shaitan that are talked about in Surah An-Nas. Al-Waswas Al-Khannas, right? That's what he does. He suggests negative assumptions to you. So that you can have negative feelings towards each other. But in reality, the fact of the matter is my wife didn't answer. So I need to do husnadhan. I need to say maybe she's cooking me a nice meal. And that's why she's not answering the phone. Or maybe she's tired, she's sleeping. Or maybe she's just cooking some food. Or maybe she's taking care of the kids. And so when you do husnadhan, you'll be relaxed. You're at peace. There's no negativity in your emotions. And there will be no conflict in the society. So that's a little bit about negative assumptions. Again, a big command from Allah. Avoid it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is t- telling us, you want social harmony in the way you deal with your fellow Muslims? Have husnadhan with each other. Always give the benefit of the doubt to your fellow brother or sister. Don't jump to negative conclusions. That is from shaitan. That is only going to cause hatred and enmity amongst you. And then the second command is, وَلَا تَجَسَّسُوا And don't spy on each other. Don't try to get your hand into something that's not your business. You know? عَلَيْكُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an. Mind your own business. Don't invade other people's privacy. And then the third one is, وَلَا, وَلَا يَخْتَبْ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا غِيبًا Backbiting. Another serious crime in the surah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way he describes this crime is unlike any other crime in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says backbiting. And by the way, just to clarify, what is ghibah? Ghibah is talking behind your a fellow believer in a negative way about something that they wouldn't like. And this is something that you would never say in front of them. Is this common in our societies nowadays? Yes or no? Hands up for those of you who think it's common. Okay. Just listen to the language now on how Allah describes ghiba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu is saying that there's four levels of emphasis here, right? Number one, whose meat are you eating? A human being. Is that, is that messed up or no? Yes, messed up. What about number two? You're eating the, the meat of your brother. Is that messed up? Second degree of being messed up. The third level, he's alive. He's, or sorry, he's dead. He's not even alive. So it's a dead corpse. It's your brother. And it's a human being. And the fourth level of emphasis, Allah saying is, you love doing it. Ayuhibbu. If you are backbiting, then you're equivalent to someone who loves to eat the flesh of his own brother who is dead, you know, and it's, it's literally flesh of a human being. Yani. How, how graphic is this image? It's pretty serious, right? Does Allah talk about, about a, ser- a crime like this in this way and anywhere else in the Quran? No. So we need to really pay attention to this language. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَوَابُ رَحِيمٌ Have taqwa of Allah. Again, taqwa. 
Be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Be aware that Allah is watching you. Be aware that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is listening to what you're saying. Be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Be conscious. You need that awareness always that Allah is listening to this conversation. I cannot do riba. I need to leave this majlis. I need to stop doing this. I need to change the topic. I need to stop them from talking like this. This is a serious, serious crime. Then Allah again, out of His mercy, He opens the door of tawbah. Because He knows that we have these evil you know, habits in our societies. And so, you know, just to move on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, like just, just to show you like an image of what ghibah looks like, really. This is really what's happening. You're literally eating the flesh of your dead brother. And you're enjoying that. Why is it so, why is it so like, negatively talked about? It's because when you do ghibah, and by the way, Allah, the Prophet told us that you know, when he went to the mi'raj, he saw a group of people who you know, were scratching their chest and faces with copper nails. And the Sahaba asked, who are, who are, who are these people? Or the Rasulullah asked Jibreel, who are these people? Jibreel says, these are the people who ate the flesh of each other's by backbiting and trampled each other's honors. It's a pretty serious crime, right? Why is it such a big crime? It's because when you do do riba, does anything get sorted out? Is, does anything get fixed? No, right? Because it's done in secret and the person never finds out his flaws. And so nothing ever gets fixed. And so, you know, Islam is about islah, right? Having social harmony is about fixing things and helping one another. But riba is not productive at all. Because it does not fix anything that's negative. And so we move on to the, you know, the section before the last, which talks about our manners towards the rest of humanity now. We just finished talking about manners towards Muslims. Now how do we deal with humanity? And this is like, you know, the standard ayah in the Quran, where Allah now addresses, Ya ayyuhan nas. He's addressing... Humanity at large now, not just believers. Ya ayyuhan nas, inna khalaqnaakum min dhakarin wa untha, wa ja'alnaakum shu'uban wa qaba'ila litaarafu, inna akramakum and Allah itqaakum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, O oh you, O oh people, O oh humanity, O oh humankind, we have indeed created you male and female. And we have made you into different tribes and peoples, so that you may get to know one another. Why has, he, why has he made us in different tribes and people? To make fun of each other? To, to crack jokes about one another? To look down upon each other? No. لِتَعَارَفُوا It's so that we may get to know one another. It's so that we may get to hang out with one another. It's so that we can exchange cultures with each other. Literally, ta'araf comes from urf, culture or tradition. And so, cultural exchange and cultural, you know, traditional exchange and... and you know, bonding between these different groups and different tribes and different cultures is what is the objective. And then Allah tells us about honor now. Allah will honor the one who has taqwa. The most honorable among you is the one who has taqwa. Allah is fully aware, He has full knowledge. Because taqwa is in the hearts, right? Can we see each other's taqwa levels? We can't. Nobody can know my taqwa level, I can't know your taqwa level. It's all 
in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why he ended this ayah with, Inna Allah alimun khabir, because taqwa is in the unseen. Therefore, we are in no position to judge anybody. This ayah is about preventing judging of others. You're judging others based on their looks, judging others based on their actions, the way they're dressed. You know how sometimes you judge someone just because they don't have a beard, or you judge someone because she doesn't wear a hijab, or you judge someone because you know, they're in a certain environment, not in an appropriate way, or they're doing certain actions. We are in no position to judge one another, because Allah said taqwa is the measure of honor. The most noble in front of Allah, the most honorable is the one who has taqwa. And this is something unseen who only Allah knows. Therefore, get busy in cleaning your hearts. Don't be concerned with judging others. And, and you know, the central ayah here is now where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks, about, talks to the Bedouins. These Bedouins who have come from, you know, different, different tribes. And they're entering into Islam now without really going through that process of iman first. They're just entering into Islam casually. And they think they've done the Prophet and Islam a favor by coming into Islam. Allah is telling, telling us how they, the attitude they had. These A'rab, these Bedouins, they used to say, Amanna, we believed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet قُلْ لَمْ تُؤْمِنُوا وَلَكِنْ قُولُوا أَسْلَمْنَا وَلَمَّا يَدْخُلِ الْإِيمَانُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ Tell them that they have not believed Iman, in fact, hasn't even entered their hearts. Just say that you have become Muslim. Iman hasn't even entered your hearts. Right? So here Allah is very clearly telling us what's the difference between Iman and Islam. Right? Islam is something on the outside. Iman is something in the heart. And the process, like we said earlier, is starting with Iman coming up to Islam. And how do we know if we have true Iman? Is when your character, your manners are right. If you know how to respect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know how to respect Rasulullah you know how to respect news, you know how to respect you know, your fellow Muslims, you know how to respect humanity. That's when this comes to life, you see? That is the true sign of Iman. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this beautiful statement that there's no doubt about it, the believers are in fact those who truly believe in Allah and the Prophet. And they didn't have any doubts. And they strived in the with their money and with themselves in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are in fact truly the the believers. So belief is not just about saying that I'm a believer, it's in your actions. Actions speak louder than words. Okay? And it's again, Iman is in the heart. That is where it's all is at the end. In conclusion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about manners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again. So it started with manners with Allah, ending with manners with Allah. It's a beautiful way that Allah concludes this surah. It's like the sandwich, right? Where the most important thing is manners with Allah and the most important conclusion is also manners with Allah. Everything else is secondary. When we get our manners with Allah straight, everything else will be set straight. So what is the last concluding message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah is talking to these people, these Bedouins. Are you telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are you trying to teach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about your deen? 
where, where Allah already knows what's in the skies and the earth. Allah is fully knowledgeable of everything. You are there to tell him what knowledge is. And so, these, these new Muslims, they used to come to the Prophet and their attitude was, Ya Rasulullah, we're doing a favor to you by coming into Islam. You know, the wrong attitude, disrespect. So Allah's reminding us and saying, they are saying that they've done you a favor by becoming Muslims. Tell them, لا تمنوا علي إسلامكم بل الله يمن عليكم أن هداكم للإيمان إن كنتم صادقين. It is in fact Allah who has done you a favor by guiding you to iman. In fact, if you were truthful, so don't take the credit for becoming people who are you know entering into Islam. No, no, no. Give credit to Allah. This guidance of Iman is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not from your own, you know, uh, from your own actions or from your own ishtihad or from your own knowledge. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah ends this surah beautifully. Ayah number 18. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows whatever is unseen in the skies and the earth. And Allah is fully seeing Basir. He's seeing everything that you're doing. In the first ayah, Allah talked about the fact that He is hearing. In Allah is Alim. And then the last ayah, He's talking about that He is all seeing. What is, what is the, what's the emphasis of that? What's the significance of Allah being all hearing and all seeing? These are the two main, you know, Signs of taqwa, right? When you know that Allah is hearing you all the time, so you watch your words, and you know, you know that Allah is watching you all the time, so you watch your actions. Your entire life, your, your whole system comes into place when you have this awareness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you all the time. He's listening to you all the time. And that is what taqwa is. That is what ihsan is. It's to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if you see Him or if He sees you. Being conscious and mindful. And so Al-Sami' Al-Basir. The one who hears you, so watch your, your speech. And the one who sees you. So we're, we're alhamdulillah done with, all, with this surah. As you can see, we talked about manners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Manners with Rasulullah Manners with how you deal with news. How you deal with conflicts. Unity. Manners with Muslims in front of them, behind them. Manners with humanity and then again emphasizing manners with Allah. But what's incredible is that every single one of these eight sections of the surah actually comes down to how we use our tongues. Subhanallah. It's actually our, our usage of our tongues. If you look at the ayah, if you look at the, the way the surah is distributed, how you talk about Allah and the Prophet ﷺ, right? لا تقدموا that is with your speech. How you talk to the Prophet ﷺ, don't raise your voices. How you talk about news by spreading news falsely. How, and conflicts, how do conflicts start? It's usually with your tongues, your speech. Unity, what disrupts unity? It's our speech. How we talk to one another. What was ghiba? It's speech. Calling each other names, speech. Defaming each other, that's speech. Making fun of each other, speech. And then humanity, discrimination, it's all speech again. 
you know, taking credit that you have done Allah a favor, that's also with your speech. And so what's the recurring theme here? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, you want social harmony in your life? You want iman and taqwa in your hearts? Then watch your tongue. That is like the concluding theme of the surah. That's, it's like a common thread throughout the entire surah. It's the usage of our tongue. And so just some hadith reminders for all of us, including myself, about the importance of watching our speech. The Prophet said that he who believes in Allah in the last day must either speak good or remain silent. In another hadith, the Prophet said, who is the most excellent among the Muslims? He said, well, the one whose tongue and hands the other Muslims are secure from. And then whosoever gives me a guarantee to safeguard what is between his jaws, which is your tongue, and what is between your legs, which is your shahawat, your desires, I shall guarantee him Jannah. So, you know, just some reminders about the emphasis of watching our tongues. And so, alhamdulillah, we've come to the conclusion of this talk today. Just to recap, the surah was about social harmony. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasized that you want social harmony, work on your iman. Bring iman in your hearts, bring taqwa in your hearts so that you can protect this iman. And, and the core of iman is love. Love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, love for Rasulullah love for your fellow believers, and love for yourself, and love for humanity. When you have love in your heart, then that's the beginning of harmony in your life. And again, the emphasis on starting with harmony in your heart, that's what iman does, right? It gives you harmony in your heart. Then focusing on harmony in your homes. And then moving on to harmony in your society. Which will inshallah give us a society of love, justice, peace, and unity. Which is really a beautiful way of bringing the surah and, and you know, wrapping up the surah in a beautiful way to see how iman results in social harmony. And you know, the last point was about t the tongue, watching speech, the way we use our tongues and how important it is to watch our tongues. And to be silent. The fact that Allah gave us one tongue and two ears. So listen more than you talk. Right? And if you have nothing good to say, then remain silent. So with that, we conclude, alhamdulillah. Um, just before we end, I just you know, wanted to give away a free gift from Falak to everyone sitting in the audience, inshallah. So to claim your gift, all you need to do is visit uh, this profile on Instagram. For those of you who have Instagram, you could do that right away. Or you could just basically um, share with us your email with the organizers. I don't know if that's being taken care of, I believe. We'll be sending you, inshallah, a free ebook, as well as, inshallah, you know, um, we have developed as Falak uh, uh, about 13 hours of content online. It's an online course uh, that's called Discover Your Vision, where we, alhamdulillah, you know, take you through the journey of someone who, from living a meaningless life, to discovering your vision in life and living a purposeful and meaningful life, which is something that we all need. The young people need it, all of us need it, right? Some sort of direction in your life to live a meaningful, purposeful, happy life. And so we've designed this course, it's online, it's seven modules. Alhamdulillah, the course is like, you know, it's, it's a paid course for, you know, hundreds of dollars, but we want to offer it as a free gift, as a free trial for all of you for one of the modules. So if you share with us your emails or if you subscribe to us 
using the link in the profile, we'll send you access, free access to one module of that course, which is about seven videos that inshallah all of you can benefit from. And if you'd like to follow more of our work, then you can follow us on Falaq TV, on the various social media channels. Jazakumullahu khairan. Subhanakallah bihamdik. Nashadun la ilaha illa ant. Nashakfiruka atubu ilayk. If you have any questions or anything, then inshallah, you know, we'll take it. Otherwise, I don't want to take much of your time. Any questions before we end the evening, inshallah? Everything clear? No doubts? At least let's have one to make sure everything, everyone understood what we were talking about. Yes? Everything good? Alhamdulillah. One question? Sisters? MashaAllah, we have shy, many shy people in Qatar, huh? So who's going to be the brave one? Nobody? Yes? Yes. Great, good point. So taqwa is translated as fear of Allah, consciousness of Allah, protection also. Good point, brother. So, you know, fear here is, you know, a word that, yes, is mentioned in the translations, but sometimes it's un misunderstood. Because, you know, if we te keep teaching our children to fear Allah, fear Allah, fear Allah, right? Without really explaining what that means, what will they end up having as an image and an idea of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That He's scary, that He's someone who wants to punish you all the time. So fear of Allah actually is fear of letting Him down. Fear of not meeting Allah's expectations, fear of not fulfilling your role as Abdullah. So absolutely, that's a fundamental part of taqwa. And of course, when you, you, know, you have the consciousness of Allah, then you will fear upsetting Him by saying something bad, by doing something bad, right? So yes, fear is another component of taqwa, absolutely. That's, you know, Zakla khair for reminding us that that's also a beneficial thing to have in your life. Without fear of Allah, you know, none of us will have taqwa, right? Just like to have taqwa on the roads, you need the fear of the traffic light. And that's the fear of the cameras and the radars, right? If you don't have those cameras, people won't be careful about how they drive and how they, you know, uh, act on the road. So this element of fear is healthy. It's needed, it's important. But it should be explained in a, in a positive way. Not to scare our children from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because we need our children to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fear letting him down and fear, let, you know, not meeting his expectations. Jazakumullah khair, inshallah we'll end the evening. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.